We can just keep talking. We don't even have to pause it. Yeah. I, I should introduce it, huh? Uh, this is Faith Over Breakfast, and uh, I think this is podcast number 32. I think I it's I just 32. got a two from our, our producer here. He put up his two fingers. Producer Andy. Who's <laughs> <laughs> also just part of the podcast. Who's <laughs> just part of the podcast. Episode 32. It's good. We talk about guns, and I don't know if we get anywhere, Andy. You know what? That's, that's fine, because... The premise of this podcast, as we'll say again in a second, is we're just talking. This is uh, two pastors having a conversation. We yeah. want to get to know each other better, and we're inviting you to the table. That's why we do this. So getting somewhere, I don't yeah. know, listen in, see what you think. Maybe it'll at least uh, get you thinking more. Yeah. And then at the end, we, we come back around and address uh, some thoughts from the last podcast. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, but we lost the email, so... We're not sure. So hopefully we kind of addressed it. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't. Oh yeah. well. So now that you're now that you're really confident about the content of this podcast. <laughs> Listen to it, it's Listen fun. To it. Yeah, it's so good. Thanks for joining us. Faith of Wood Breakfast. Eric just told me I can talk. My name is Andy. This is a podcast called Faith Over Breakfast. We're uh, recording this in Tucson, Arizona, in the loft of a coffee shop called Exo Coffee that also serves delicious sandwiches that Eric never orders. I never order them. I do. Because let's just be honest. I get up and I pick up a little boy Mm -hmm. whose dad died seven years ago, so I'm going to make it sound like a sob story, but it's it's the truth. And I take him to breakfast. Okay. And he has to be at school, and this place is far away from there, and he's a little boy, so I'm not pretty sure he's going to eat. What is that on your... your, uh, An egg. An egg. He might eat that. Bread. He's going to eat the bread. Yeah, then we've got... um some spinach. spinach. I don't think this. So he, yeah, but he, you can't even taste this. Right. So we then I'd have to go take him to school and come back here. Yeah. So we go to my usual, which we all know what my usual is. Burgers. So, right. Which sandwich do you get? Um, I just get a bagel. Really, just mm-hmm. a bagel. Cream cheese. Yep, on the side. Plain. Plain. What kind of bagel? Uh, it kind of varies. I get either an everything, a salt, a pumpernickel, or a twelve grain. I usually mm-hmm. get twelve grain. Because it's nice and hearty. 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 Okay. Well, so Eric has had a hearty breakfast. Yes. Um, so he's here but sipping I did get on a latte. An amazing cappuccino. Cappuccino. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I got a cortado. Anyway, we're here in Tucson. Um, this we maybe apparently need to explain is not what you might expect to be called a show. Yeah. The, the premise of this podcast is Eric and I. We know each other. We have some similarities. We have some differences. A lot better. (laughs) Yeah. And we know each other better because what we're doing is we get breakfast and we talk and we record that and you get to listen to it. So we've had some people on. Um, Every once in a while, somebody else might sit down to breakfast, but it's not a uh, show where you would expect regularly to have interviews or whatever. We're having breakfast. We're talking about stuff. And you get to listen in to... What a couple of pastors who, you know, maybe are similar to other pastors, maybe aren't, but you get yeah. to listen in. And why you would do that, I have no idea. Well, you get to hear us work out things. That's some of what it is, is we're kind of working out what we think. Yeah, we're not always sure. Right there on the mic. Because, like, the topic that I threw out to you, I threw out to you, what, 15 minutes ago? Yes. And you sent me an African-American thumbs down, which probably means we need to have a whole other discussion on 
Okay, so one of our avid listeners, uh-huh. um, who I love dearly, sends me African-American thumbs up and thumbs down. And yeah. he lived in Detroit. And so he thinks he gets to do that. Well, he can. It's one of the emojis. It is one. It's an option. So it's but, a very, so now the thumbs up on my, you know, when you, it's like, commonly used. Yeah. Yeah. Thumbs down, thumbs up are African-American for me, so, you know. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with that. I like, like it because it, it made me uncomfortable for a long time, yeah. and then I got used to it, and now I like to make other people uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I love the uh, the racially undetached or detached yellow thumbs up, yeah, thumbs down. Yeah. Like, supposedly racially unattached. Anyway. I don't know. Or is it? I just, I just you know, feel... Winnie the Pooh may feel differently. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what I feel. I just feel. Yeah. Then that's, that's why we're on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. figure out what I feel at the top of EXO. Yeah, so here we are up in the sky. And so, you know, I'm listening to the, listening to the radio, guns. You know, this has come up thousands of times in our lifetime. It's, it's big talk right now. We've had a podcast where we talked about war, pacifism, but here we are, um, you know, the nation's talking about guns, so why not you and I? I'm, I'm thinking about it. So if we were just having breakfast, which we are, I'd be interested to know what you think. About and, guns. About guns. And so in your church, would you say, if somebody asked you to label your church, and I know you don't, you only label thing, you only label with vague, ambiguous labels, right? So you wouldn't really do this. But if somebody said, are you guys like pro or anti-gun at the village? Mm-hmm. How would you answer that question? It depends on who you talk to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty... Um, well, our church has always been, what I would say, moderately liberal mm-hmm. with some strong conservative underpinnings. Mm-hmm. And so... It's the best... You know, the liberals with strong conservative underpinnings and yeah, the conservatives with strong liberal underpinnings are always the best. Yes. Well, I mean, that as, if you were to view the church itself as one person, that's how they would kind of... Mm-hmm. come out to be because there I think are some very strong conservative people um, and then there's more moderately or socially liberal yeah so I, I would describe probably the average view of the village as somebody who has voted both Republican and Democrat but has voted Democrat more often than Republican who is more socially minded in the sense that they think government should uh, intervene um, in the so- in, in helping poor and indigent. Um, that they, I, I think there's probably a strong a strong feeling that there should be uh, a socialized medicine at some level or in some way. Um, while also they would be adamantly against abortion, but maybe divided on how the government should address those issues. Right. Um, but I think actually, you know, there is a strong contingent of saying um, that it shouldn't be government funded, but it shouldn't mm-hmm. be illegal is probably a strong position in within the... Um, Perhaps statements like you can't legislate morality or something. Yeah, like things that. like mm-hmm. that. Um, so you might have that. Um, and then there's probably a pretty strong or at least a moderately strong anti, you know, government or military involvement in other, you know, situations in the world. Um, but then I would say then there's a, I, that, but then 
that underpinning is that there is a strong conservative um, group of people in our church who are would fit the very traditional conservative yeah. model, except that I do not think they would connect God and country. Mm. They just are conservative because yeah. of their understanding of Christianity, but they wouldn't connect those two. Yeah. Like, you, know, you don't have to be a Christian um, to be a... Uh, like, a conservative doesn't automatically make you a Christian or vice versa. So, and Eric, your church, The Village, here mm-hmm. in Tucson, um, was really, you really designed it to reach out to postmoderns originally, right? Yeah, I College think... students, and so, you know, this is, I would expect, like, I mean, you weren't, you weren't trying to just, like, grab Christians from other churches and gather them, so it's like, that's, that sounds about right. Right, um, and, and yeah, I, I think I would, I wouldn't tack the college student thing in there. I think we used to say, I mean, it's a postmodern mindset, so it, it, it kind of, goes over age mm-hmm. well yeah you're definitely not like a college church now but originally you were near the campus right yeah yeah so you had some college feel to us mm-hmm. yeah and even now all the college students we have don't feel like college students yeah yeah you forget you're like oh you're 35 right <laughs> oh no you're not you're, <laughs> you're 19 not. you're 19 years old yeah um yeah so and then my church uh here in tucson is mission church and um you know, different crowd, but but not so different. I mean, I would say, I, except I think we might have like further on the polar ends of that spectrum. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. But I mean, we definitely have people. It, when you when you're on this issue, like we have uh, folks in our church, I would say that have you know assault rifles um, in the house and and stuff like that. Yeah. From what I've gathered, we have that. And then I think we've got people in the church who do not own a weapon and think it should be absolutely illegal. Um, and you know, don't understand why in the world you would. Um, so you know, it's an interesting thing that those people are brought together and are worshiping together and are mingling and eating together in our church. I actually think that's that's a really great thing. That <clears throat> in my mind, like, and there there are a few things that bring people together like that. Politics is not one of them, um, usually, um, but it's. Uh, but that's that's what's going on in, in my church, and so I'm I'm listening to this whole debate. I'm thinking about I wonder how where where our people are on this and how this impacts our community. What's your personal story with guns? Um. Well, you have a military father. I have a military father. Um, I grew up shooting bow and arrows. Mm-hmm. You know, having compound bows and things like that in Indiana. I didn't own any guns except for a BB gun, but all my friends owned guns. And mm-hmm. so I shot my first, you know, 44 and shotgun and those kinds of things in the sixth grade. And, you know, they were unsupervised by adults. Yeah. I mean, the 44 was not unsupervised, but carrying the shotgun around. Right. Blowing the, you know, slide off trees and just doing goofy things that sixth graders would do if they had a shotgun. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, and then after that, I didn't really have a lot of involvement in guns, nor did I have any really care to be involved with guns. I don't, I, you know, like when you're a kid and you find an interest, guns were just not something that was interesting to me. And then um, I think I was, for a good chunk of my life, before I kind of transitioned to being a pacifist, very pro-guns. Yeah. Um, 
pro the Second Amendment. Uh, in the sense Did you, of, were you a gun that, owner? A conservative? No. Yeah. I just I was, you know, pro that that idea and, and that interpretation of the Second Amendment. And I would say that as I've transitioned to being a pacifist, and I don't, and I'm not like a full pacifist, but. I have a hard time understanding the need for guns, but I actually, like I always say, I'm a pacifist who believes in the right to own a gun. Hmm. Um, I think it's so much part of American culture that I think it's a foolish thing to try to undo completely. Okay. Because you are ripping out the very identity of so many people hmm. and how they understand themselves and they grew up with weapons, especially in the South. I mean, my housemate, Keith, who's a moderate liberal own shotguns and rifles and he grew up with those things That's, yeah. and he loves going and dove hunting he loves shooting a gun it's just something about it that's you know it's like people who shoot rockets or people who drive remote control cars it's just their that's their fun that's the thing they did and that they really enjoy it so the remote control car can't the, blow somebody's head off true I'm not, I understand that they can't you know that they're but we drive cars, and people love cars, and cars are more dangerous than guns. So, right. I mean, I don't, they can be used as weapons. Yeah, they can be used as weapons. Um, it's interesting because uh, I know you pretty well in your church, and like I feel like there's a big culture within your church of saying to to other people like, you can't depend on these things you've depended on. Sure. Um, but you're saying now, like, for as far as, like, the country, like, the country's just depended on these things so much, it'd be unwise to take away the thing they depend on that they find their identity in. Um, right. I mean, it'd be like trying to take cheeseburgers away from America. Right. Even because they're killing us more than than guns are. But yeah. we're not going to take cheeseburgers away. And I get the arguments about right. guns. I'm not for assault weapons. So what's... So how do you distinguish between that dependency, uh, you know, when it comes to shotguns and handguns and assault weapons? What do you mean? This is the kind of stuff, I'm, I'm just milling this stuff over my <clears throat> how own How do mind. I do? I mean, I... To, to being, like, pro, like, you can't take away people's guns, but then being against assault weapons, what's... How do well, you, you know, where does that, like, people's dependency and their identity and... Because uh, some people would say, like, I... You know, a huge part of my identity is owning these. Yeah, and, and well, here's the thing: is there's got to be a line. Where I that have doesn't a hard matter time anymore, for right? us to sit around and talk about if guns should be legalized or not, or not legalized, but if we should, you know, make certain ones illegal, and we start right. throwing stats around. Sure. And, okay, so we're talking about life and death. Yeah. And so there, for instance, you know, and these are all you know gun advocates stats, but people, more people die by accident or, you know, in the hospital. It's more dangerous to go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, heart disease. We have all these different things that are, that we're doing as a culture that are killing us. Mm-hmm. And what we're all putting our energy into when it comes to guns is not going to make much of a difference. It's not going to stop mass shootings at all. People say it is, but it's not going to. There's no evidence that it's going to. Um, you know, the force like people will say with crime, they'll say, um, if you start regulating guns, although people just go to the black market, the crime won't stop. Well, it's 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 a deeper problem. It's a mental health issue that we haven't been. Mental health and the way we've dealt with mental health since the 80s is, is just horrible. 
Um, but we want an easy fix. I mean, that's always... And, I, and it's not that we shouldn't work on, under, you know, how you get a weapon. Like, it's ridiculous on how you can get a weapon. You can go to the state fair and you don't have to go through any of the hoops. Oh, look at Craigslist. Mm-hmm. I've been shopping for cars on Craigslist and it all the time. You'll see vehicles where they'll say, you know, $2,500 or trade for things that go bang. Yeah. Um, and so people are out swapping for weapons on yes. Craigslist all the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, but mental health is an issue. And it's not something we're dealing with very well. And I have firsthand experience in trying to help people walk through that, and it's a mess. So I just feel like we're putting all this money and energy into things often that aren't really going to fix the problem. Right. You know, we talk about all the violence in the four major cities, Detroit, Chicago, I think St. Louis, I can't remember the other one, where a lot of death, gun deaths happen and things like that. Well, where you have poverty and racial issues all pushed into one place, and these are these are the real issues, and not you know guns are just kind of like the icing on things. So when I lived in South Chicago, I um, in the neighborhood of, and I mean the site of town, but also the neighborhood of South Chicago. I was working on a research paper in my bedroom, sitting at the window, and just the loudest lightning strike claps sounding you know boom 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 six times um and you know i'm drop on the ground and you know then run out front with the the couple that i lived with and the the shooter had a a hunting rifle um high-powered hunting rifle and the car was parked there was a car parked in front of the house uh with a kid who is um infringing on the block you know dealing drugs and this guy blew two inch holes in every panel of that car and every window and somehow missed the kid he was crouching right in front of my window six inches from my knees um when he blew the car open okay and so i don't live in those neighborhoods but i did for a bit um in that impoverished area where there's you know where there's racial division and there's drugs and uh, and the couple that I lived with who are highly engaged in the community would say they would say sure um, you don't um, you know there are other issues but the ease of availability of these guns is a big part of this problem like and this is in Chicago, which has the strictest gun laws. Well, right. But they're saying that you can still walk, you know, you can still take a quick drive into the county and right. go to any of these gun shows. And so the people that are feeding them into the inner city are these suburban folks, you know, who are who are out, you know. And they were like, there's a, there's a pathway for these guns that are streaming into the inner city. Yes. And they, and they would, so they would say, yeah, we need mental health. Yeah, we need... Renewal, yeah, we need to deal with the drug problem, but like for goodness' sake, slow down the the pathways for these guns. Um, you know, they and they were passionately as people who were. I mean, we heard gunfire nightly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were like, it's not like you, we need to. These guns need to stop streaming into the inner city. And, and they need to, you know, because they're and they're getting robbed out of homes, and they're they're just so they're everywhere. They're oh yeah, so guns available. everywhere. Yes. Yep. No, I and I and I'm not opposed to any of that. Right. Um, 
But I, but it's weird because in some ways I just I'm not opposed to either. Right. But I would go back to guns are still sexy. They're the sexy thing. Mental health is not. Right. And I think, you know, what we're looking at when we look at violence, yeah, we look at the four major cities where a lot of this is happening, but a lot of the violence that everybody's getting upset about is when people who are in mental health places in their life get a hold of a gun and go do something crazy. Like, that's what's kind of instigating all of this conversation, which should tell us that we're not dealing with mental health. Yeah, well... Yeah, we should deal with guns, but mental health is a bigger problem. And so, but then some people will say, like, part of dealing with mental health is not having not not having the availability of the yet. weapon. I agree with you. So the mentally mentally unhealthy person that hasn't been diagnosed or or some you know not like the whole city wasn't vigilant enough or whatever can't just walk into Walmart and or wherever this you know lately these folks have been buying the guns and just pick one up you know um, which I you know seems logical uh, to me yeah so I I grew up my dad was in the military um, as well um, and we grew up so sorry I by the way didn't ask you about that yeah it's okay I'll ask myself Eric that's cool Andy (laughs) what's your Um, so I uh, if you went to my you know and this is an interesting piece in my story but if you went to my grandparents house there were guns all over the walls I mean I remember uh, one time waking up I stayed the night at my grandparents house one time out out in McNeil Arizona near Bisbee and I remember my grandpa waking up and yelling at the top of his lungs damn wetbacks grabbing his gun running out into the yard and just just filling the yard with shells so that's my grandpa um, he and he his property was getting his garden would get torn up or whatever I guess uh, by by people who are crossing the border coming through yeah. southern Arizona um but you know something I learned about my father is that my my grandpa was he was he would you know kind of like he was kind of rough around the edges had his guns was tough guy right and was really really mean to my dad and you know you could figure probably some other folks and so at some point my dad um, had a, a interaction with his father where he said if this is being a man. I don't want to be a man. Um, he he rejected his dad's version of manhood, which right. was yell, cuss, kick, shoot, kill. And he, he said, like, yes, and he even said something about, like, shooting and killing. Like, if that's... This was my dad's words. If shooting and killing is what makes somebody a man, I don't want to be one. Um, and so my dad did not... That was not his version of being a man. Um, and so that was not passed to me. Um, my dad had a, a vintage old revolver, kind of from like, it's kind of like this antique that he kept, but it never seemed to me as if it were there for use. It was more like it was an antique that, you know, and he didn't even want me to know where it was. Um, and so that, that was kind of where how I grew up in this you know in that culture was you know never I've never owned a gun I bought a BB gun because I had pigeons um, sitting on top of my air conditioner when I was young and they were you know defecating into my air conditioner because that's a little gross yeah it was very gross and so I, I acquired the BB gun to ward them off and shot my window out so that was 
was the closest thing to gun ownership um, I've ever had. Yeah, I guess I, I, I do own a pump-action BB gun. Yeah. And I've owned it for a long, long time. Yeah, right. And But there is something fun, I will say, about, like, shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember with my BB gun, like, knocking over cans yeah. and, and stuff. And, and one time a guy took me out to, you know, shoot a gun, which I, I did and had zero desire to do that again. I wasn't like, wow. But there's something about, I feel the same feeling of throwing a rock at hitting a tree. Um, like, oh, cool, I hit the tree. Right. Um, I don't need a thing that could blow somebody's head off to feel that feeling of hitting a target personally. Um, I, I was a pitcher in baseball, you know, throwing one right down the pipe. Same feeling for me. You know, so I don't, I don't connect with the need to to own that stuff, and I think a lot of that comes from my my father. Sure. But but I have had tons of friends, like you were saying, you know, on a different side of that, who who feel like a strong, like it seems to be very very much a piece of their personality, who they are. Right. Um, and it's interesting, a couple of times I've, I've had the opportunity to engage with why that is or what it'd be like to not have it. Are you afraid? Is this a safety thing? It's purely sport. Um, and, the, and I mean, it's it's been all over the map. Yeah. From what I've heard. Yeah. Well, I think there's a strong sense that the world is dangerous. Yeah, right. And, you know, I mean, and I know in Tucson, you know, down so many uh, policemen that unless you're dying, the police are not going to show up for an hour. No. Right? You've got to tell somebody somebody's dying or somebody's been shot or someone's firing yeah. a weapon because they're just so undermanned. Yeah. So there is a sense in that that we live in a dangerous place and you need a weapon to protect yourself because how are you going to protect yourself against the person trying to break into your house? Right. And that is what you you hear a lot. And we discussed this on the... Right. Or podcast. Yes. I forget what your answer was. Like if if somebody broke into the house, because that is the common. Would question, I defend my family? What would you do? Yeah. Right, and I said I would. Yeah. I'll probably defend my family. Yeah. I have a baseball bat. Yeah. I know where it is. That's what I would do. I have a, a practice. My practice sword. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very heavy duty. Yeah. Dude, you would wood. come running out with a sword. samurai sword. <laughs> it's a it's it's a wood. It's a wood samurai yeah. sword. That scene in my mind is pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Like <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. here comes here comes Eric, <laughs> bandana on, yeah. with with a sword mm-hmm. in his underwear. It is underwear <laughs> in Midtown Tucson. Yeah, there you go. Whoa. <laughs> do you have? I mean, I know you're into tech. Do you have cameras all throughout your home that would catch that moment? So mm, we could, unfortunately, that's a little spooky. I never want cameras on anything. Yeah. I don't want to document too much. Really? Because you're super into like cameras, but you don't want to. I'm not super into cameras. Just the one on my you're phone. You're the only one I know that has the Mevo camera. Right, because that's to film things. Well, isn't that church. what all cameras are at for? Church, a sermon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, okay. This, this gun. The, the real issue is that our country is in the place where they're they're arguing over this, and we're very polarized as we Completely. are on every single issue. Yeah. And the reality is, we are. You know, there's just a number of things in our government that we've been irresponsible about. Yeah. And it has to do with fear. Everything is motivated by fear. So let's pull this out of government for a minute, because we're we're pastors, we're not politicians. Yeah. Um, 
So as a pastor, if if you're say say you were to discover that um, you know Robbie and Jolene have a room full of AR-15s, at, and they're a part of your church. They got a room full of full full. It's a small room. A small room. Yeah. <laughs> Um, are and there crates of them, or are they just hung on the wall? Hung on the wall. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a it's like a collection. Okay. Everyone's a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're really got, into this. They're powder coated differently. They're yeah. all unique models. It's a collection. Okay. It's not like stockpile. This is not a drug cartel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Guys, we got to clarify. <laughs> okay. So so that you know you're you're in counseling with them, yeah. and this comes up as a pastor. What questions would you have, and what would you want to? Uh, how would you want to guide them? Well, I mean, they'd have to be either asking me, "Should we have these weapons?" or I just find out that they have. Okay, so yeah, let's say let's say it comes up as like kind of a tension point. Like the husband's super into it. Yeah, okay. wife's not so sure. Yeah, she's not so, so sure she wants. So, it. so, so we have up. to explore. We have to explore. They're them. not both collectors. Of no. These yeah, Jolene. Jolene is not the collector. <laughs> now, since you asked this question, I want to make you answer it too. But That's uh, right. well, I mean, again, you like you've been saying, I would I would process why they, this person has them, right? And what really is it the essence of that? But then, when it comes to marriage, a lot of what I talk about in marriage and you I suspect talk about is am I willing to sacrifice a thing that I think is very important to myself right. and I enjoy for the betterment of my own spouse like, right. and where they are and what they're struggling with so is what I would try to help whatever his name was I already forgot <laughs> you forgot it too I remember it, Jolene yeah, but... Jolene's husband yeah. uh, to let go like, what would it take to have these as an open hand and say, well, because you're uncomfortable with them, I'm willing to let go of them and, and what, give them up. What, and so he says, oh, let's role play this. And then you'd, you'd do this okay. back to me. So he goes, well, like, we're here in Arizona and all these, this border stuff, and it's crazy out there. Like, what, how am I going to be safe? Right. So how many of those do you need to be safe? I think I think I need them all. Like, I need to arm... Like my family, and then I would probably like say, Jolene, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm just worried that one of the kids is going to take it to school, and a bad thing's going to happen. So, well, I need to refer you out to somebody. Else. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, well, like you know, with the, with the mental health system we have, yeah, you're yeah, going to be there. Uh, no, I just this is that's an interesting. I mean, wow, I would have to spend a lot of time thinking that through because. Now we're talking about, does she feel like her children are in a place where they could do that? They would think about doing that? Are the guns in a, are they in a safe place? Is this a dangerous place? Are these kids in danger? Like, I'd have to do some, like, legal assessments on my own to figure out, and I'd probably go talk to somebody at our church who have the power to, like, think those things through and know the law better than I do and give me some advice on where I should go with that. And there's two, there's two fears there, right? There's the, this fear of, like, harm. You know, I mean, a, a question I think I actually have asked in this situation is, like, as a Christian, looking at the scriptures, if the world became a dangerous place... What would be the call of Jesus of how we should respond to that world? 
shoot it up, blast the snot out of it? Well, I think the, the at least I think what I would hear would be, well, no, but I would like to, I think what Jesus would encourage me to do is to provide a safe haven for as many people as I possibly could in a violent world. Right. And, and that's so, very, I mean, David Koresh. Yeah. And, but doesn't mean that, you know, in, right. we're talking about a world, we're imagining an apocalyptic world. That's what they're imagining. And right. so a world where law has disappeared. Yeah. And so we got to create a safe, the, the space inside here is safe. Yeah. And we're warding off yeah. the hordes. Or, you know, people who are trying to rape and yeah. pillage and, and do violent things to women and children. We need to protect them because that's what Jesus would do. So then how does Jesus, how did Jesus, practice? let's be practical, how did he protect us from the Roman Empire? Well, I think the first thing, if we're going to, I think Jesus calls us to follow him, but I do not actually think Jesus calls us to imitate his exact ministry. Okay. Meaning, right. I don't think God... He's not asking us to die on the cross for other people's sins. Nor is he asking us to live a wanderer's life of preaching. Right. He's asking us to live the gospel out in our context. Sure. And and I think that is different in different places. So in the early church, yeah, the, the, there was a lot of, you know, martyrdom and a lot of, you know, refusing to be part of the Roman military. Um, and not being an executioner and not being on the Senate, not being part of violence. So that was part of it. Um, but there was also... But Jesus did care. Like, let's just, you know, practically, like, yeah, it's not going to be... He's a substitution. He's a substitution. He's an atoning sacrifice. We're not. For right, others. right. Okay, so he's not calling that. us to be that. Right. Um, but there, there's a dangerous Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And... His protection of them and what he offers and instructs for them to be protected. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, is a question that, I mean, come on, like, we, this is World War II. Uh-huh. You know, we, we have famous Lutheran pastor who yes. was part of a, know. you know, and it's Bonhoeffer, a valid debate. Right. It was part of a, an assassination attempt of an evil man. Right. And he believed that, you know, that was something that was valid and part of the gospel. Right. You know, because he was saving people's lives. Right. He was, you know, he was fighting evil. Some people right. believe that it is our job as followers of Jesus to to defend the people who cannot defend themselves. Right. I mean, I, no, and one of the most compelling arguments for, for that that I've found is like the International Justice Mission, for example, with, you know, you've got these little girls who are being enslaved sexually and these guys I mean they bust into the building with guns mm-hmm. you know because the their captors have guns mm-hmm. and they are if they have to shoot they will but they their goal is to get the girls out um, and so I and I, I am not I'm, I'm devils advocating a lot here as usual but I'm I'm not clear on this you know like I'm not just like anti-gun guy um, but those moments when I see those people, weapon in hand, breaking down the door, going into this dark place, pointing that weapon at an aggressive mm-hmm. captor and saying, you let her go. Like, I I see that and I don't have this, I, I don't, I'm not like, oh no, there's a gun. I'm like, thank goodness. Like, 
Yeah, right? So right. I, I get that. Yeah. Like, I see that. Yeah. But so, like, but I, I feel like I would want to kind of work out with people, like, is that what we're talking about here? Or is this... Because that's, like... I mean, there's always an appropriate amount of, like, fear or anxiety, right? Like, if you're going in there as the International Justice Mission and you just ran in in your sandals, yeah, in your right, in your flip-flops, and you were just like, give me the girls, and they pulled out guns, you know, there's a, you. there's a reason you go in there with a bulletproof vest on and a gun, is yeah. because this is a dangerous place, right. and you need to understand that. So, yeah. um, I think that there's an appropriate version of that, but then there's a point to where, like, fear and anxiety has gone too far. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, when we're there... Like, the two fears in that household we were working out is, like, one, mom is afraid that her kids are going to turn out bad and do a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like, they could whether you have guns or not. Right. Like, it, that, you don't have control. Like, you can get rid of every fearful thing, right? Like, I mean, this is, like, some moms are doing this with their, there can't be any high fructose corn syrup anywhere because the terrible things can happen and we can get cancer or for other people there, there can't be a weapon or we have to live in the perfect neighborhood where there is absolutely no crime like there are so many versions of how to be safe that aren't really foolproof right and right. we've got to get to the bottom of that fear and then dad in that situation is like like this is like a fear that he's going to lose things and that you know, bad things are going to happen. That's right. a bit un- unreasonable. And it's like, at some point, there's a place to where it's like, we live in a world of chaos. Right. And you can't, your demand to control this yeah. is, it. the gun itself doesn't matter. Doesn't, right. Yeah, well, I think, ultimately, there are two things that we are at play, right? One is that we're calling people to live the gospel out and following Jesus. And so that always right. has to be overlaid yep. on your kind of your scenario. The other thing is that we're encouraging people to come out of a life of fear right. into a life of peace, repentance, and forgiveness. Like that's what we're, we're yep. living as followers of Jesus. So when the guy has a room full of guns or the woman is afraid, like we have to ask those questions right. and, and challenge those things. And yeah, like we can say to the little surface pushbacks and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, do you own a set of guns purely out of fear? Right. Right. That's that's something to think about. Why are you doing that? If yeah. in a marriage there's a conflict over the ownership of guns, then are you really laying your life down for each other? Right. What does that look like? Um, and what is you know what's the gospel called to? And what are you instilling in your children right. through all of this? Like, because that could talk about mental health. Yes. You could be part of the problem. Right. So I think those are those are things that when it comes to what's happening in the conversation, which I think most people are interested in, is like what kinds of gun laws do we have? Yeah. Um, one thing I do think that we all have to have on the table is one we have to know that guns do kill people, and that and they are dangerous. Yeah, right? and people use them. I think there were like thirty thousand suicides yes. used by guns. Yep. So so people do use weapons, usually yeah. handguns, when it comes to to suicide. Yep. to kill. Yep. themselves like that's yep. the major use of a handgun yep. is to take your own life so like we have to talk about that we have to understand that these are things that are being misused yep. at the same time I think it, we also have to 
be gracious because a lot of times what I see is that we compare ourselves to Europe, right? Yeah. They have very strict gun laws um, and the violence and all of that. But the reality is, is that the United States is huge. Yeah. And if you're to compare a small state to say like Switzerland, you'll find that certain states within the United States are safer and more peaceable than you know countries within Europe, you know, Western countries that we hold up as examples. Yeah. But then you walk into other states that are just horrifically violent. Yeah. And like you were talking about, just the way that guns are accessed. All these things, if we're conservative, we, we need to seriously take this in account and not just throw up a bunch of stats about heart disease and yeah. you know and all the other things yeah. that are horrible that are happening that are should be addressed. Yeah. Sure. But we all just, that we need to do it with humility and say, okay, yeah, I need to think about this and we need to have an honest conversation and not like you're trying to take my guns. And then the other way, I when I said earlier, like I think that if we are strong gun control people, we need to understand what we're asking people to give up. Because are we willing to give up something as close that, to our as precious? As yeah. precious. Yeah. And and my right. thing and always it, is are you willing to have stronger limits on abortion and stronger gun control? Right. And that there is always like coming from a perspective of Christianity and a paradigm of a sacrificial savior, especially like a guiding principle for life is like my life for years like I will sacrifice if that is something that helps you helps you know if that's something you need and when you listen to political discourse we are that is not where we're at it's my rights you will not you you know and that's and that's just we're, we're very individualistic we're very centered on the self and so what what would you expect so everybody's out there fighting for me and so there's, yeah, there's no room for, like, if you have this concern, if this if this is difficult for you, I'll lay that down, I'll lay my gun down, or I'll lay my, like, my issue, whether it's abortion or, like, marriage rights or something. Like, I would lay that down if you laid this down. Right. I imagine, but it's hard to imagine. Well, it is, but you think about, yeah. like, I think following Jesus, like you're saying, it's about what is cognitively dissonant. Yeah. Meaning I have to sit with somebody yeah. and love them, care about them, and we have different views and maybe even a bit of a different internal value system yeah. about how we read the scriptures or how yeah. we understand what we're supposed to do and still live in community together. But you see that in the disciples. You do. I mean, you have a zealot, you have yep. middle-class fishermen, you've got you know tax, collector. tax collectors. You have this group of people who couldn't just all sit down and be yeah. like, Hey man, like it was so it's cool to like hang out with you because I suspect that most none of the disciples had ever hung out with Matthew. No, because Matthew was a they pariah. Would, why and, would they? And yeah, he, they would be unclean to be with him. But Jesus can do. There's something about Jesus they can bring people together. Right, because which is why I think our churches have people on different sides of this issue and are trying really hard to live together. Uh huh. Yeah, not always working as well as we want it to. Right. Right. It's 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 hard. It's not easy. Yeah. So we had a couple of people wanted some follow-up. I guess, yes. On uh, your last week's conversation about evangelism. Yeah. And the, and the hard part is I got this email from somebody I know, um, Amanda, and she, uh, hey, she asked, <clears throat> wrote this email and now it's gone. But uh, anyway, I think there was just, I think 
the, the gospel kind of conversation and how the gospel is going forward in our churches was interesting to people. Yeah. Um, and maybe in the sense of the traditional mode of that versus... Uh, this is last week's yeah, conversation. Yeah, two, weeks, two ago. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe some of like what people were picking up as you playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but also maybe some of your own anxieties about what it means to be uh, in the world and offering the gospel mm-hmm. in a direct way or an indirect way or in a holistic way, all those kinds of different things. Yeah. Um, so I think at least there was some sense of maybe you wrestling with who you were. And I don't know. Maybe you could speak to some of that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, like, I think I was, I mean, I think I really am, like, asking that question, because I think there are big, like, cultural, like, there have been times in which the church has been very, like, vocal with the message, like, generally, and then there are times when the church has kind of, like, you know, gone more with the, like, live it out, um, use words when necessary, kind of those types of, of mindsets, and so though I, I, I think there are people with giftings and there are certain churches that are going to have certain um, <clears throat> bents. I, I still think that there are um, there have been times and eras in which the church has gone one way or the other. And I guess I was just really asking the question of, like, have we and in, in our churches specifically swung the pendulum too far? Um, I don't have a, like, this isn't something that's keeping me up at night, but it's just worth, as all these topics are, worth talking about. Sure. Um, and uh, and referring to our old friend that you know that was on here, like there are many things like I've worked with him, known him a long time. Um, you know, there are things that I understand about his approach, and that they challenge me. It pushes me a little bit to do things differently. And then there are things I don't agree with him on, um, and that I would not do. Um, and I think that's just part of like being in community. I mean, the fact that I went to lunch with him and walked away with a question is good yeah, instead no, of just being good. with people like me. Yeah. So I think I was just processing that. So I was curious, like if you could just put in a nutshell, yeah, philosophically, how you feel at this time in, in space with the culture that Tucson is and where we're at just as a larger culture when it comes to God, what do you think? the individual's role is in, or what it looks like for an individual to reach out into the community and bring the gospel in a way that's going to help people move towards or at least understand the kind of choice they're making in regards to Jesus um, and to draw people into the church. Like, how do you... Can, yeah, can you talk so, a little bit so just I, sort of like what sure. you believe? So, I mean, we could take the, uh, you know, apocalyptic saying of St. Francis of Assisi. I say apocalyptic because it's... Or apocryphal. Apocryphal, yeah. yeah. It's um, not apocryphal. Uh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> the end is near. No, yeah, Don't apocryphal. <laughs> My bad. Um, if we took that that saying, um, you know, preach the gospel using words when necessary, like I don't, um, I used to like that statement, and the more I've wrestled with it over the years, I'm like, I think that, I think that where I would land with something like that is I would say, I think that our lives should be lived out of gospel principles in and among people who don't believe as well as those who believe. Um, We should admit readily that we fail to follow them, and we should be repenting and confessing sin, which are huge gospel principles. So when Um, you say gospel principles, 
you're and living among people, what you're saying is making it very clear as to the systems of values and person that you're following. In yeah, life. like so people like, understand us. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've a way I've like worked that out before is like be honest with people about why you do what you do. Yeah, like, and you don't have to like preach at them, but like I was talking with a couple the other night, just getting married, and they were talking about speaking to friends and saying, "Well, we're getting married this way because we think that's how God acts toward us." Um, cool that that's great that is their reason like why lie about it? why act right, like that's right. not the reason right. so i would say like have an, an open conversation with people about here's why i do what i do um and here's why i'm apologizing to you right now and stuff like that um uh yeah i remember just a, a moment with a friend where actually he was actually buying a pack of cigarettes and they undercharged him and the guy said and he came back and was like, hey, you undercharged me. Here's the money. And he's like, nobody does that. And and he just said, you know, I think I think Jesus would be honest about things like this. That's how he's always treated me. So I feel like that's what I should do to you. Um, As he buys a pack of cigarettes? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's adorable. And I remember, but I never forgot that moment because I thought, like, wow, like, I didn't expect Jesus to come up right now. Yeah. And... It's kind of powerful. So I I would say, and every once in a while, that's going to entail articulating, like, look, um, there's a, a story Tim Keller told about a guy or a lady who really, like, screwed up at work, like, big mistake, and her boss, you know, took her aside, and it's like she really should have been fired, and he, but he gave her another chance, and she pushed him, and he went to Redeemer in New York, and like pushed him like for weeks like so why am I why did you not fire me like come on and finally he was like look okay I've I've not lived the life I should toward God okay and God has given me um, mercy and nothing but good things though I deserved to die and I'm a Christian and so how, if God's done that for me, how can I not do that for you? That's no, a good gospel. Right. right. So I, I think things like that would be, I think, I think speaking and explaining why we do what we do rather, I, I I'm not advocating like members memorizing outlines or whatever, but mm-hmm. I think we are a little resident to speak. At least I think my circles are. And so I, I would say, I think that, being honest about why we believe what we believe, do what we do, in the context of real relationships. Hmm. But that'd be my, I guess, way I'd say. How about you? Well, I, I don't. It's interesting to me because I actually had this conversation with my daughter after we had our podcast, and I asked her. I said, "Okay," and she she went to probably one of the more secularized schools, uh-huh. and you know it's known as a haven for people going through gender transition and all that kind of stuff. And I said, "Okay, well, if you could go back with everything you know now," um, and I said to you, "Look, our church is going to pay you, but what your call is." is to plant a church in the next three years out of your high school. Right. Like, And these are all post-millennials. Right. Um, like, what would you do? What would you need? And she sat there and looked at me for a while, and she said, well, 
first I would need 40 people. Um, and so it was interesting to me because her thought on the whole thing about the gospel is just like, these people have to see the gospel lived out among, among them. Yeah. And they're not going to come to my community at this point. So that right. was one thing. And she, he said, because there's such an antagonism within her generation towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's been successful in her life and seeing people who come to the village because of her and her friend's ministry in that school has been because they've seen these two or three people live out their life together and they're attracted at some level to that and they're still kind of playing around with if they want to be part of the community that they're in but the gospel so what's happened with her has been interesting to me is that and I think this is the newer way, and that's why I'm trying to think through things, is her gospel has been to power and not to the people. So where she's been the more, like, where you and I would say, yes, that's like a very, like, this is what the gospel is, and I'm going to stand for what I believe to be is true, is with the power structures in her school and not with the kids. Right. And I, and I thought that was very fascinating yeah. to me. And so, like, it's interesting, like, to try to figure out as a church, like, what do I, you know... I mean, I like and agree with what you're saying in the sense of always saying, like, here's here's how the cross plays itself out in my life. This is why I'm doing these things. It's always good to point back to the gospel. But then there's always also, like, this culture that, like, that's not even, like, it's it's, a, it's yeah. not even any longer, like you were saying before, it's not even a common, no. common thing. And so how you begin to address those things and... There's a lot of understanding of what Christians believe that they don't, many of them don't believe, no. and so trying to help reframe Christianity is a big part yeah. where we haven't needed to reframe Christianity. We used to be able to say the Bible says this, and people were intrigued. Yes. Not anymore. Well, now I don't even, yeah, even some people are if like... If you say that, that might be, that might shut the conversation down. Right. Because you might as well have just said, I read Moby Dick. And they right. Go, so. Well, and they've been, they've been, especially when you're traumatized, you've been... Yeah. Or you're going through something that's very anti-Christian. People, yeah. you get abused by it. Right. Yeah. So, then becoming, you know, trying to speak to that. It's interesting to me. Yeah. I think we have to always be rethinking what culture we're speaking the gospel into. Absolutely. That, no doubt. That would yeah. be my number one principle. No doubt. Yep. And we've probably talked for a long time. Yeah, it's about 53 minutes here, so. Oh, well. Hey. Faith hey. Over Breakfast, thanks for joining us.
I'd have done it for less. 